I'm Roberto. And I'm Brendan. And together, we're ranking the Russian rulers from Rurik to Putin to see who gets to party it out in the Kremlin or get shipped off to the Gulag. This week, Sviatopolk the Accursed. In Russian, Sviatopolk Okayani. And before we jump into today's episode, we want to let you know about our sister Brexipod. So you think you can rule Persia. They rank the Persian rulers from Diocese, Diocese, however you pronounce it, to Yazigur III. We've dealt with quite a few of these rulers in the history of Sacramento, Georgia, so it's a fun listen. And we are starting their ad now. Hi, I'm Serial. And I'm Umberto. And we're the hosts of So You Think You Can Rule Persia. A podcast where we rate and review all the kings of Persia from Diocles to Yazdegerd III. If you've been enjoying the lives of the Tsars, join us for a look at the rulers of Persia. We promise to also have vague prophecies and wild shenanigans. We'll be discussing their lives and myths before ranking them all and deciding who is really worthy of the title of King of Kings. We hope to have you along for the ride. Well, I really enjoy listening to the podcast and I talk to Umberto and Sariel quite often and they're fantastic people. I've really enjoyed listening to So You Think You Can Roll Persia, and the fact that a lot of their history kind of overlaps with the history of the stuff that we do over in the Georgia podcast is it's quite fun, and we can kind of see how the different things get affected by different rulers when you have the overlord actually doing things outside of the, well, you know, the main aspect of history that you cover. Give them a listen. They're fantastic. We would also like to make people aware of our new patrons, we have three new people to commend. We have Count Eric of Surgut, known for his wildness out in the Siberian plains. Then we have Dukes Gerald and Mitchell. Duke Gerald is the Duke of Two Men, and he is well known for his versatility in getting the trains running on time. And then we also have Duke Mitchell of Chelyabinsk, who is known for transporting the people we know to the gulags. Thank you all for your support, and let's continue on with the show. So, I guess it's time for the recap. Brendan, what do you remember about Vladimir the Great? Vladimir the Great? Uh, he wasn't that great. Um, to be perfectly honest, there's not a lot I could possibly forget about Vladimir the Great. Uh, but Vladimir the Great was one of three sons. He was actually originally the Prince of Novgorod, correct? Yes. Yes, he was the Prince of Novgorod. Uh, one of his brothers died in a very stupid way. How did he die? Um, he ended up at the bottom of a moat somehow. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so one of his brothers ended up at the bottom of a moat somehow, and he killed the other. Then at some point, a princess whom he wanted to marry said, I will not take the boots off the son of a slave. And he proceeded to... He, he took that very personally, let's say. He went to her home... Knocked on the door. Well, not knocked on. He broke it down, killed her parents, raped her, forcibly married her, and proceeded to repeat this process with many, many, many women and children throughout his empire. And then he was all made okay because he converted to Christianity and he converted the rest of the his people to Christianity in turn. So his sins are forgiven. Yeah, exactly. So it's all okay now. It's fine. He's fine. You know, that's why he's the great, because he made everyone Christian. Oh, that was such a rough episode. It was. Um, but we ended up giving him high marks anyway, because being influential gives you high marks, which he was. And uh, being a horrible human being also gives you high marks. 
Yes, it does. So this was by design. Yeah, he is interesting, to say the least. Okay, let's go away from Vladimir. He's dead and gone. And let's talk about Sviatopolk. So, Brendan, would you like to know what Sviatopolk's name means? Yes, let's go. Okay, so Sviatopolk comes from two words. The first one meaning being Sviat, which means, well, holy, and Polk, which means regiment. Okay, so nothing to do with accordions or Weird Al Yankovic? No, sadly, no. Okay. But um, when you actually do translate Sviatopolk's name completely, it doesn't mean a holy regiment. It just means one who has strong regiments. Ah, okay. So we'll see if that comes into play. Yeah, does he have strong regiments? Let's find out. His early life. Sviatopolk was born roughly around the year 980 to the Greek wife of Yatopolk and Vladimir, whose name we don't know. Hmm. She was named in the movie we reviewed for some reason. She was named, so we're going to call her that name from now on. So, hello, Irina. How's it going? Because I'd rather give her a name than just call her the Greek wife because she's a person. She has names, so we're going to say it's Irina. Yeah. And again, keep in mind for those who didn't listen to the Patreon episode, in the movie about... Vladimir the Great Viking, they just decide to give the unnamed Greek wife the name Irina. Uh, in real life history, I do not know of any evidence that that was her real name. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and just call her Irina. So let's talk about Sviatopolk's parentage. So you touched upon it in the last episode, but I said it's a whole mess because we really don't know who Sviatopolk's father really is. Because Irina... It's a real Roll Tide moment here. Roll Tide! Well, we don't know because Irina found out about her pregnancy not too long after Yaropolk's death and her rape and subsequent forced marriage to Vladimir the Great. Yeah, actually, no, it's not a Roll Tide moment. Uh, it's more like a uh, more like a Hamlet moment. For all you Shakespeare fans out there. I don't know the reference, but that's fine. Um, Hamlet's uncle murders his father and marries his mother. That makes more sense. Well, the Chroniclers had something interesting to say about the night of Sviatopolk's um, conception. Now Vladimir had intercourse with his brother's wife, a Greek woman, and she became pregnant, and from her was born Sviatopolk. From a sinful root, evil fruit is produced, inasmuch as his mother had been a nun. And besides, Vladimir had intercourse with her without having married her. Sviatopolk was therefore born in adultery, and for this reason his father did not love him, for he had two fathers, Yaropolk and Vladimir. Tell me the Kronkers don't understand how biology works without telling me they don't understand how biology works. Yeah, also their main issue was that they were not married at the time. Uh, not the, uh, other thing, you know, concerning the lack of consent. They cared more, like, oh no, they weren't married and they had a kid. Scandalous. So scandalous. Like, OMG. But that's not what we're here for. That is, Sviatopolk has been made, so now we get to talk more about his actual life. But it's highly likely that Yaropolk is actually Sviatopolk's dad. Because, you know, if she was already pregnant when he, she was forced to be married, that's what it, and it ends up being. Um, but it's And it's a good chance that Vladimir just adopted him as a son, because how the heck is he supposed to know? As we all know, the Ruhr kids aren't the smartest... You know, what's the, what's the term? They aren't the sharpest tools in the shed. They're not the sharpest tools in the shed. So. The men aren't. The men aren't. Well, yeah, because Olga's not a Ruri kid. She's, she was married in. Oh, okay. That's fair enough. Yeah. So Vladimir may have thought this was his son and just said, yes, Sviatopolk is my son. 
Or if he did know Irina was pregnant, he may have just adopted him to not have to kill his brother's kid. I guess this, this is how we know that Kievan Roos didn't have Mari or Jerry Springer to help him here. <laughs> because, uh, you know, they would have figured out, you know, they would have been like, Vladimir, you are not the father. Right. Exactly. And then the guy who didn't want to be a father can, like, moonwalk and do a backflip. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could see Vladimir yeah. doing that for sure. Yeah, I'm just imagining, like, in, uh, I don't know, in some, like, baptismal ceremony, Mori announces that, and the camera guy is just sprinting after the mother. <laughs> she runs away. Yeah. Oh, that'd be, like, oh, Irina's just running away. And it's like, well, and they, you know, it's just a horrible thing. But... Enough about that. You know, eight long years passed by and Sviatopolk became eight years old in 988. And it's super easy to remember because he was born in 980. But for his birthday, Vladimir granted the region of Turov to Sviatopolk. This is located in present-day Belarus and has parts of the Derevlian territory as well as that of the Dregovich tribe. So this gave Sviatopolk a chance to learn how to rule and basically become a good vassal for his father. So he has land. He can do things pretty well now. And then mm-hmm. the years start coming and they don't start coming because it's about the year 1010 when we can surmise that he loses his position as the Prince of Turov because it's annexed by the Grand Prince of Kiev and he is thrown into prison by Vladimir for allegedly plotting against his father. And was held in Kiev or in the nearby town of Vishkorod. Wait, how old was he? So if he was, uh, he would have been, so this is in 1010. So if he was 8 in 988, 1010 is like. He would have been 30. Okay. That's a huge time skip because he said, oh, we threw into prison for plotting against him. I was like, not plotting against him to uh, not go to bed on time. Uh, not eat his spinach. We we see 988, and then it's just 1010, and we're like, uh, what happened here? And we're like, he probably just went hunting a whole bunch, and just kind of chilled, and ate grapes, and all that fun stuff. Or, you know, ate mushrooms, because it's Russia. Wait, so during his imprisonment, he went hunting? No, no. Between 988 and 1010. We don't know. So nothing happened, basically, yeah. As long as far as we know, nothing happened. So I'm just making stuff up. Well, while in prison, we think that Sviatopolk may have made friends with a very idiotic prison guard named Igor. <laughs> and they remained constant companions over the next few years. When 1015 came around, Igor brought news of Vladimir's death to Sviatopolk. And of course, the prince of Turov convinced Igor to let him out of prison. And he'd be handsomely rewarded once he became the new Grand Prince of Kiev. And of course, Igor let out... Sviatopolk. With Sviatopolk being the closest son to Kiev, because he's just one town over, he took advantage of his newfound freedom and took the throne without much opposition, as the Druzhina, or the Red and the Ustash army, were out of Kiev with his half-brother Boris, the Prince of Rostov, who was leading an expedition against the Pechenegs on orders from Vladimir. So, he doesn't have the army. So, Sviatopolk, yeah, Sviatopolk does not have his father's army at his disposal now, but he's the Firstborn of Vladimir, probably. Well, adopted firstborn. Well, adopted firstborn, but it's highly likely that Vladimir made Boris his heir because he did give him the army. So that's actually like... Yeah, and he also threw uh, Sviatopolk in prison. Yeah, so Sviatopolk was 
basically escaped from prison and became the new prince. So he had a obviously he had a legitimate claim to it. Is there any anything whatsoever about any difficulties of getting people to recognize that claim? Because if he was, I can. Do we know if Vladimir disinherited Sviatopolk? We do not know that, but you're getting close to the mark because we're just about to get to um, some of the um, people looking down on him. So before he could get comfortable on his new throne, Sviatopolk did the only thing he could do to make the boyars happy, and he started handing out bribes left and right to all of them. Welcome to the bribery in Russia. Some things never change. Some things will never change. Because, of course, he needed them on his side somehow, and since he was not the favored inheritor of the Kievan Rus throne... The boyars were pretty unhappy that Boris was not there to actually be there because Boris was actually very well liked by all the boyars. And as I mentioned earlier, he was the de facto heir in all but name. Like, he has the army. He's the one who should be ruling. And, you know, this weighed on Sviatopolk's mind. He knew that the boyars disliked him. And with Boris heading the Kievan Rus Drujina, he could never safely rule the throne in case Boris tried to press his claim where he could, and probably would, usurp the throne from Sviatopolk. So, what is a roost ruler supposed to do with this, Brendan? So, no army, a contentious claim to the throne. And the boyars don't like you. And the boyars don't like you. Uh, lock them in a sauna and set it on fire. Well, Olga is his great-grandmother, so mm. there is that option. Could this be the one person who breaks the trend? of men being dumb and women being smart well we'll have to wait and find out because we're going to switch back to boris ah of course yeah while sviatopak was busy deciding what to do about boris boris was returning from his expedition from uh, inviting the peshnegs at the border and he made camp at the alta river which is the dividing line between the rus and pecheneg territories at the time and he kept watch there while his men rested and then a messenger arrived bearing grave news to Boris, stating that his father, Vladimir the Great, had died, and that Sviatopolk had taken the throne that rightfully belonged to him, Boris. Boris's generals waited for the messengers to live, and they swarmed the Prince of Rostov. They pushed for him to take the fight to Sviatopolk, and claimed the throne that rightfully belonged to him. Boris refused, saying to them, Be it not for me to raise my hand against my elder brother, now that my father has passed away, let him take the place of my father in my heart. You know, I really want to call BS on this. What? What for? Well, okay. The chroniclers are always going to be writing things to retroactively justify whoever was in power at the time. Because if their descent is illegitimate, then whoever whoever is in power at the time the chroniclers are writing are also illegitimate. It's the exact same reason that Caesar claimed to be descended from Aphrodite, or Venus. Because he was. Right. You need to have some sort of ancestral legitimacy in order to have a claim to power. Or at least, it's helpful if you do. Well, the Drujina looked at Boris solemnly, and without a word, they all left the camp, returning to Kiev and leaving Boris alone with all of his servants. I mean, if we were ranking Boris, this would be definitely taking away compromat points. Because if I was in Boris's position, I would just be like, well, I'm the one with the army, so step down. Of course, I'd have to convince the army to actually go along with it. Well, the army was with him already and looked at him. They wanted him to be king. Be king or be, be the prince. So Right, be the prince, right. He had the chance. But instead, he threw it all away um, because 
he i don't know as much as he claimed to uh love his father he didn't admire his kin slaying so i guess he didn't want to <laughs> didn't want to follow in his footsteps in that manner yeah so he's you know Boris is being nice he's just like i don't want any bloodshed i just want peace like i just want to do my thing well back in kiev sviatopok finally made his decision and returned back to the town of vishkorod where he waved to igor off in the distance um, he summoned the boyars of the town, who were led by a man named Pucha. Pucha noticed Igor coming to the meeting with Sjatopolk and turned away Igor, because no one wants the guard there. <laughs> right. By the way, I'm going to, you know, Igor's made up. I'm just putting him in for fun. Yeah, okay. Okay. So Sjatopolk spoke to the gathered boyars and inquired if they were faithful to him and him alone. Pucha and the boyars responded in eerie unison that they were faithful to him and would do anything that he commanded. Simps, the lot of them. Mm. Sviatopolk gave a devilish grin and ordered them to secrecy and commanded them to go to Boris's camp and kill him before he could come to Kiev. <laughs> of course. Yep. This is why he's in charge and Boris isn't. Boris received word from various messengers that Sviatopolk wanted to make amends and that he wanted peace between them. Make amends for what? He already willingly gave up the army and the throne. Make amends for what? Well, that's what Sviatopolk wants. To make amends. For what? For what Vladimir did? No. For, you know, for taking the throne from Boris. It's like, oh, usually it's like, all right, I took Boris the throne. Boris gave it like... up. <laughs> well, yes. But then the message also been stated to Boris, if if he came to Kiev, everything would be fine. Boris right. could only sigh at this and he started praying in his tent. Pucha and his boyars arrived at Boris's camp on the Alta River to the sound of the Prince of Rostov singing the matins. The chanting grew louder and louder, and the more the boyars stealthily approached the camp. Boris knew from the messages that his end was coming, and when the boyars came upon the tent, he stopped chanting, looked up towards the heavens, finished his prayers, and said, Lord Jesus Christ, so help me now to endure my passion, for I accept it not from those who are my enemies, but from the hand of my own brother. Hold it not against him as a sin, O Lord. Hmm. Wow, what a nice guy. That's definitely something that the chroniclers did not make up. Well, Boris sat down on his couch and awaited his fate. The boyars looked at each other, a tear dropping from their eyes, as this beloved man would meet his fate. They scrambled into the tent, and with lances in hand, they pierced the Prince of Rostov a multitude of times. They wrapped his body in a rug and dragged him back off to Kiev, where he was presented to Sviatopolk. Sviatopolk investigated his brother's body, who then grabbed Sviatopolk's hand, one eye barely open with a low but struggling breath. Sviatopolk jerked backwards, and one of his ranking guards came up and stabbed their sword through the heart of Boris, finally releasing his suffering soul from the world. What a bot's job. Come on, man. How difficult it is to make sure that somebody is dead. Apparently very difficult. The boyars loyal to Boris were disheartened, and they stole his body in secret and took it to Vishkorod, where he was buried next to the church of St. Basil. Hmm. It's not still there, is it? No. Events happened that made it disappear. Yes, events did happen, indeed. Yeah. Well, smug with his new holdings in Rostov, Sviatopolk decided that he needed to deal with his brother Gleb, who was Boris's full brother. He sent a message to Gleb telling him that Vladimir was quite ill and wanted to see his son at his bedside. Gleb loved his father very much and mounted his horse and set out with his servants towards Kiev. Near Smolensk, his horse tripped from being run so hard and Gleb's leg became injured. He was taken to Smolensk by his servants and placed on a boat. Before departing, Yaroslav, his brother up in Novgorod, 
told him that Vladimir had passed away and that Sviatopolk had murdered their brother, Boris. Bursting into tears, Gleb grieved for his father, but more so for Boris, who he loved with his whole being. He prayed for Boris's soul and made his way downriver as he wanted to mourn for his brother at his actual grave. As they sailed downriver, they spotted a Kievan Rus ship that got closer and closer to them, which bore the crest of Sviatopolk. Pucha and his boyars arrived and took over Gleb's boat. Gleb continued his prayers, but his servant and cook, aptly named Torchin, was not about to be killed over a stupid prince and his brother's desires. So the cook, Torchin, took a knife and slit the throat of the praying Gleb. Pucha and the boyars looked down at Gleb and tossed the body overboard. They returned to Kiev and reported their success. <laughs> hey, great news, boss. We definitely killed him this time. Yes. Yeah. These people are so bad at killing. Like, every single time, somebody else has to do it for them. I know, I know. Well, in the meantime, Torchin repented for what he had done and recovered Gleb's body, where he buried it besides Boris at the Church of St. Basil. Yeah. I'm sure there's archaeological evidence that this is true. Well, the... Okay, so the Church of St. Basil was destroyed by the Mongols much, much later. Okay. And the, re and the relics were destroyed, too. Because Boris and Gleb are Russia's first saints. Uh-huh. Their whole thing is brotherly love, so they're the saints for brotherly love. Good for them, I guess. Yes. Whatever they could not accomplish in life, they accomplished in death. Of course. But let's get back to Kiev, because Sviatopolk had one more name on his list. That of his brother Sviatoslav, because Vladimir had a lot of creativity with his names. For sure. Pucha knew the drill and gathered up his boyars, where they commenced pursuing Sviatoslav. Sviatoslav knew what was going to happen, because of course, two brothers were dead, and he made his way into the Hungarian mountainside, where he had a pebble fall on his head, thus killing him. <laughs> We actually don't know how he died. He just died mysteriously. Yeah, died mysteriously. Well, whatever happened, we know for sure that Pucha's men had nothing to do with it. <laughs> they were so inept. <laughs> and then once he received news that Sviatoslav was dead, Sviatopolk looked down on his hands and could see that they were smeared red with the blood of his brothers on them. He wiped them off on the cloth and he made his way through Kiev and he noticed that the people were fearful of him and under their breath they called him the accursed son of Vladimir. His reign was going well otherwise because the multitude of additional bribes he made stated the boyars and consolidated his rule. So he's just wasting that treasury of bribes there. Or so he thought things were going well because news arrived from Novgorod and his brother Yaroslav, the prince of Novgorod, was making his way southward. Hmm. I'm getting some serious deja vu here. Yeah, um... Honestly, I'm hoping this guy kills uh, Sviatopolk, but you know in Russian history, things will never turn out the way I want them to. Well, Yaroslav was not feeling comfortable with all the fratricide going around the realm and wanted to deal with it before Sviatopolk got to him. Yeah, why is it always their first instinct is to run and their n instinct is never send a message to my brother that we need to join forces immediately? Yeah, you know... I don't know. These people, it's not like they have instant communication, you know? They need to wait and do things over weeks at a time. Well, and you know, another good reason was because Yaroslav wanted revenge for his brothers who, who were killed. That's the main reason, of course. Not because he wants to, you know, get the throne for himself. Never. He never would. It's to, you know, it's a blood revenge. You need to, you know, he needs to kill the person who killed his brothers. Blood debt. The blood debt. Well... Sviatopolk talked to his advisors about the best course of action. They told him it would be best to go to war. Sviatopolk agreed, 
and gathered his Drujina and hired Pechenegh mercenaries to bolster his army. He marched to Lubech and camped on one side of the Dnieper River with Yaroslav on the opposite bank. They steered each other down, taking three months of decisive planning. The late fall of 1015 turned into the deep winter of 1016, and the troops on both sides were getting a bit antsy. Most of all, Sviatopolk's general. He went to the closest river crossing and decided to taunt the Novgorodians, yelling, Why did you come hither with this crooked shanks, you carpenters? We shall put you to work on our houses. That's a pretty wild burn. That is a wild burn. I think it's a horrible taunt, actually. Yeah, no, I mean, I've heard, yeah, like, somebody out there has made out, like, some stupid list of BuzzFeed's top ten historical taunts. This would not make it. Well, the Novgorodians were thoroughly taunted, and the two armies advanced to attack each other. Snow fell on the ground, and the lake had been freezing over the last three months. The plains proved slippery, causing the Peshnegs to lose their advantage on horseback, and Yaropok flanks Yatapok's army, leading them to be further pushed towards the lake. The Peshnegs saw the writing on the walls and fled from the field, as they had lost any fighting chance they had. The Kievan forces were pushed by the Novgorodians onto the lake, where a crack filled the sky. The ice shifted from below the Kievans and broke completely, plunging them into the freezing cold water. Olga of Kiev would never have done this. She never would have made this mistake. Just saying. <laughs> no, she would not. Sviatopolk, however, managed to flee from the battlefield and escaped with the Lyak tribe, making his way to Poland. This left Yaroslav as the ruler of Kievan Rus. Wow. How's that? Well, I wasn't sure which part made him the accursed. It was killing his three brothers. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, first off, okay, I figured, uh, why do they call him that? Being born of adultery, check, allegedly. Fratricide, and finally just being so unlucky. Actually, no, that wasn't luck, that was stupidity. <laughs> well, we're not done, though. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. While in Poland, Sviatopolk entered into an agreement with Duke Boleslav I of Poland. In exchange for pieces of land from Kiev and additional plunder, Boleslav would assist Sviatopolk in reconquering his throne and give him the hand of his daughter, Dobravka. Mm. So, Sviatopolk married the Duke of Poland's daughter. And this is a duke who would also become the King of Poland much later. Hmm, interesting. So Boleslav came into Poland to lead the attack against Yaroslav and was flanked with Sviatopolk and his companions. So he had, a, basically he had the, the Kievan or the remainder of Sviatopolk's army with the Polish army as well. Both forces met up on along the Bug River, the Bug River. How do you pronounce that? The Bug River. Is it River. just spelled B-U-G? B-U-G. Who knows? Okay. They met along the Bug River where one of the retainers of Yaroslav named Buddy scoffed upon seeing the Duke of Poland and remarked, We shall pierce your fat belly with a pike. That's a good taunt. I like that taunt. That's better. Just going for the classics, calling your calling somebody you don't like fat. Well, according to the Chronicles, Boleslav was quite big and heavy and could barely mount his horse. <laughs> uh... <laughs> and of course, Boleslav was not happy with this taunt and... His supposed size did not stop him from mounting his horse in anger and yelling at his men to attack Yaroslav's men while charging in himself to kill Yaroslav with his bare hands. Hmm. Sounds like a good course of action. Well, Yaroslav's forces were caught unaware and they broke apart instantly, leading to a major victory against Yaroslav and Yaroslav fled to Novgorod. Huh. Yeah. Wow. That's a twist. Yeah. With Kiev undefended, Boleslav entered along with Sviatopolk and legend has it that Boleslav hit his blade 
named Sisadovich against the Golden Gates of Kiev and made a notch against the blade. This is like a big ceremonial blade used for like crowning like all the big rulers of Poland. Ah, okay, interesting. Yeah, that's a bit of a legend, but we're going to nip that in the bud because the Golden Gates of Kiev wouldn't be built about until about 20 years later. Mm-hmm. And the sword itself wasn't made until like the late 12th or 13th century. So for those who are interested in this little bit of information, it's not real. Disappointing. It might be that that did happen with a gate in Kiev, but it wasn't the sword that they see in the museum now. Was not that sword and was not those gates. Yeah. Anyways, Boleslav's men decided to help themselves to the goods around Kiev and plundered as much as they could, with Boleslav being the de facto ruler while he remained in Kiev for the next 10 months. Now... Both the Polish and Russian chronicles like to have a big difference in opinion here. In the Gesta Principum Polonorum, Boleslav had to return because of ongoing events in Poland, but in the tale of bygone years, or the Russian chronicle, Boleslav merely left, presumably after an argument with Sviatopolk. Upon leaving, Boleslav took with him two of Sviatopolk's sisters as concubine, who were Yaroslav's full sisters, and a few boyars loyal to Yaroslav, along with Anastasius of Kherson to be the steward of his new lands, notably that of Cherven, which were given to him by Sviatopolk. Anastasius is the guy who shot the arrow um, with the message to uh, Vladimir in the last episode. So he, he left Kiev as well. In anger at Boleslav's departure, Sviatopolk ordered the Lyak tribe to be killed. So Sviatopolk found himself alone in Kiev a second time, with a messenger arriving from the north. Yaroslav had formed a new army and was on his way south to attack him. Sviatopolk fled from Kiev and crossed the Alta River, entering the Nomad lands, and took control of a large Pechenegg army. He met with Yaroslav on the Alta River, where the chroniclers say is the same site where Boris had been murdered four years previously. Upon seeing each other, there would be no waiting this time. They rushed at each other at sunrise and the fighting commenced. Hordes of Orangians and Pechenegs fought and carved each other up, the blood of the fallen filling the battlefield. It was as if a flood of blood had come through and covered the whole plain area. By the evening, the battle had gone in Yaroslav's favor and Sviatopolk fled the scene towards Poland. As Sviatopolk rode towards his father-in-law's territory, he seemed to grow weaker and weaker to the point that he fell off of his horse. Hmm. His servants caught up to him and found him, weak, unable to move, and his body burning from the inside. He was placed in the litter, and they continued to ride to Poland. Once they crossed the border into Polish lands, Sviatopolk's fever broke, and his body became cold forevermore. His servants buried him where he died, and according to the chronicles, there is such an evil odor coming from his grave that no one could ever get close. That's one way of putting it. Yep. <laughs> now Boleslav is dead. Or, I mean, now Sviatopolk is dead, not Boleslav. Right. Yeah. So are you ready to uh, rank him? Yeah. That was incredibly anticlimactic. <laughs> well, you got your wish. He died. <laughs> That's true. I did die. But it's like, well, with an anticlimactic, it's like, okay, uh, Igor I was torn in half by trees, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've argued that he got what he deserved there. Plus, it was not an anticlimactic death by any stretch of the word. That's my favorite death so far. Well, yeah, of course. It's definitely the most metal death. I still think the most metal thing that's happened was... Um, goblet? Yeah, the goblet skull. Uh, Sviatoslav, right? Yeah, yeah. Sviatopolk's grandfather. Yes, actually, yep. Yeah. So, um, are you ready to rate him? Yeah, I'm ready to rank him. Alrighty. Spezzalne operatia. Special operations. How well did they do in battle, lead in battle, or have others lead in battle for them? I'm not feeling this one. I mean, he had... Okay, so he lost two battles, but had some... But had Boleslav win for him. Yeah, he had Boleslav win for him. Okay, that counts for something. That's a decisive victory. That's a decisive victory, because he got the throne back. 
but the whole we do we do mention it someone or someone leads for them he did say somebody leads for them Can, making good allies counts for special operations that said i think that whole kerfuffle with falling into the ice sorry falling into the freezing water because they couldn't be bothered to test the ice before really does not does not bias me towards giving him a high score yeah so what are you thinking well there's other things that he's done actually no i think that'd be more compromise those things are gonna yeah some other things are gonna might go under um uspiek and uh I kind of want to give him something a little less than middle of the road because the ice thing was really stupid, but Borislav thing was pretty good. He knew how to pick his allies. He did. So I'd give him a four, I guess. You know, I'm going to give him a three. Yeah, I was also thinking a three, but you know, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't let one incident entirely cloud my judgment on that. I mean, as far as we know, he only fought in three battles. So, and one of the, and two of them went badly, and the, but the first and last one went badly, and the second one went well because of his allies. So, I'm going to go with a three because he knew how to pick his allies, but, and he, but he was able to get back his throne because of that. Let me put it, th- okay, now that you say that, let me put it, th- okay, fought in three battles, and he's basically 0 for 3 on all of those, except for 1. He's, he's 2 and 1, or he's 1 and 2, because you win last. No, he won, he won 1 out of 3 battles. Three major battles. One one victory, two losses, a win loss ratio of of point three three. Right. So okay. yeah, win loss yeah, win loss ratio of three point three point three yeah. repeating. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna give it a three. Okay. So that is a six for Spetsalna Operatia. Uspiech. Success. How successful were they in running their nation? What cultural significance did they leave behind? Again, Previously, I praised. I previously praised Olga of Kiev for, although her actions were cruel and horrible, they were extremely cunning. Mm-hmm. And somehow, I don't know how this, this. I would have to chalk this up a lot to the stupidity, or rather, his brothers underestimated how ruthless Sviatopolk could be. Part of it is that. Part of it is that in some level, he did something at least, or didn't do something, to make them believe that he would never kill them if they simply gave him the army. Mm-hmm. So in terms of success, I think he was minorly successful in running his nation. I'll add something to that, because he actually did make coinage. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he coined money. Yeah. Here we go. Was he was not the first to do this, right? Uh, we have, we have some from Vladimir. Right, right. Well, that was he, but that was the first one. He was the second one to do it. Yeah. Right, right. Okay, he was the second one to do it. Now, yeah, this is something he left behind. So that points towards it. Yeah, securing his position on the throne, in spite of a dubious claim to it. I think is pretty good. I do, I do want to add, mm-hmm. he also made the first two saints in Russia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did make martyrs of his brothers, thus securing his own cultural significance in a manner of speaking. Yes. So what are you thinking? Um, I want to give him a fairly high score. I'd say probably, probably a six. I will 
give him a seven because mm-hmm. I because I think just because of all the reasons you said and if, but I'm adding more weight to the whole fact of his making his brother martyrs because that is a big thing because he basically just made the first like saints in Russia ever of course you know he's not the saint himself but mm. he they're the first to be sainted because to be clear Olga of Kiev and Vladimir the Great were also both made saints yes but much later right like they the, the like Boris and Gleb were made saints like 50 years later. Right. Which is super fast. Alrighty. So that is a total of 13. Wait, 6 plus 7 is, yeah, 13. This is a history podcast, not a math podcast. Compromat. Blackmail. What things did they do behind closed doors, or outwardly do, that made others dislike them? Uh, this is going to be a short discussion. He's called the accursed. <laughs> yes, he's called the accursed. So just to make it less, he's guilty of three separate instances of kinslaying. It is not his fault that he is considered to be the product of adultery. So that'll not enter into it. Um, Sorry, he killed three of his brothers? Yes. Yeah, okay. Three counts of kinslaying. Basically, he went to war with his brothers for the entirety of his rule, as far as I can tell. Kinslaying specifically to take care of a dubious claim to the throne. I would also count that as compromat. What else? I don't know. I can't think of it. Uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I think I'll go with uh, an 8 for compromat. I'm going to go with a 7 on that one. Because it's like, yeah, because basically all he did was kill his brothers to shore up support, to basically get their lands and be the sole ruler. But he was stopped, so I can't give him any more for that. Well, yeah, but he intended to do way more than that. But, you know, it doesn't help. You know, Vladimir had yeah. two other brothers. Svetopolk had... A ton of more brothers. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, well, I can't give Hitler too much compromat because the Allies stopped him. No, I don't think you understand the concept of compromat. It wasn't what he succeeded in doing. It's what he actually, it's what he intended to do. Yeah, okay. So yeah, I'm, I'm, seven is still a pretty high score. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm not disputing and I'm not saying you should go higher. I just don't understand your reasoning. Well, uh, yeah, I think, I think, honestly, the fact he killed three of his brothers, two of them, like... Were literally, one of them literally surrendered. He was like, yeah, that's fine. He can rule. Like, he was not a threat. Yeah, and, and keep in mind, having hundreds of concubines was worth only a 10 out of 10. <laughs> only a 20 out of 20. Okay, having hundreds of concubines, raping multiple women and children, killing a bunch of people, yeah, that goes a lot a far away. Yeah. I'm, I'm, Even we yeah, didn't get like, Olga. Really, it's a structural, yeah, really, it's a... St- Really, it's just, well, I don't think we gave Olga full points because she did, yeah, because they kind of deserved it for killing her husband. It's understandable, at least. Yeah. And, he, you know, he was just killing his brothers to shore up claims, which is completely fine. I do it in Crusader Kings all the time, but it's still horrible because he got caught and they call him the Accursed, which is another mm-hmm. big thing because his name is literally Compromat itself. <laughs> like, he is the Accursed. Like, he's a horrible person. So, so people did not like him at all. Christ in heaven. Vladimir the Great is the Great, but his son who did this got an eight in Kapramat is the accursed. The Great, question marks. That is a 15 for Kapramat. He's actually doing a lot better than I thought he would. Yeah, I mean, honestly, when the whole ice incident happened, my mind like immediately started playing the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme. Boja moi. Oh my god. Uh, basically, how good looking were they? I went boja moi with this man. Okay. Who who painted this? It was painted by Sheremetyev. Okay. Well, I won't say he's a particularly handsome man. I'll say that. 
But he's got some mad drip. Yeah, he's got some mad drip. Wait, is it? Are they doing like the? I need to zoom in on this. Does this painter? Yeah, they did the exposed shoulder thing. What is he? Is he a jaunty maiden? What's with the? What's with his little cloak sliding off his shoulder? Oh my god. He's showing himself to, you know, Dobravka, his wife, you know, hey girl, like, I mean, I think they're also doing like, he, for me, he kind of resembles like Cain as well. Who? Cain and Abel. Oh, yeah, um, maybe that's what he was going for. I think that's what he was going for. Yeah, what the painter was going for. Yeah, I do not understand what this little seductive slip is supposed to be. It worked on me. Uh, here's another picture on his wedding day with Dobravka. This was made by Jan Mateko in 1992. Huh. For some reason, it looked it looked real for some reason for a brief I know, second. right? <laughs> I was like, how did they get a picture back then? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, I wouldn't say he's a particularly handsome man. He's not what I would call a dreamboat. Yeah. Well, here he is. He's in the red. This is also by by my, Jan Mateko. Oh, he's the guy on the right? Oh, yeah, on the right in red. On the right in red, yeah. On the horse. So he's playing second fiddle to whoever this guy is. Who is that? That's Boleslav. Boleslav. Yeah. That's Boleslav hitting the golden cane in Kiev. Yeah. Oh, okay. I see. Um, Which didn't happen too much later. Okay. For some reason, his outfit is significantly dumber here. I don't know what's going on with his hat. Uh, I wouldn't say he has mad drip in this one, to put it lightly. Yeah. No, he's just, I don't know. He's just very middle of the road for me. He looks like a very average person. Alrighty. So what are you giving him? I'm giving the perfect middle of the road five. I want to give him a seven. I think he's I think he's very handsome. The exposed shoulder got me. He exposed a bit of shoulder, and I'm just like, whoa, it's getting hot in here. I mean, the heater's on, but yeah. Like, oh, bonjour, moi. Oh, man, this is hot. <laughs> All righty. And um, I think we're in the last one now. So actually, wait, the total number is, what's five plus seven? That is a... That is 13. Sorry, 12. 13, yeah. No, it's 12. Uh, 12. Oh, yeah. That is a 12 for Bojomoy, which he got the exact same as Vladimir the Great. And we gave him the exact same amount of points because I also gave him a 7. <laughs> and you give him a 5. <laughs> uh, you can tell both of us graduated in humanities and not in STEM. Yeah, if you put a gun to my head and ask me to add 5 and 7, tell my family I love them. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, I could do spreadsheets all day, but the points don't show up until I do the, the final list on the final sheet. Um, Alrighty. So... Let's go to the next ranking. Vladichestva. Sovereignty. How long did they last on the throne? Well, I have to guess first, right? Yeah, yeah. Ten years. Okay, so Sviatopolk reigned from July 15th, 1015 to the fall of 1016. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. That's the first time. And from August 14th, 1018 to... 1019. Wait, so what ha- what happened? He, he remember Yaroslav took over and he and he went to Poland and he got it back. And he got it back with Boleslav's help, yeah. Right, 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 of course. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, when we don't know the exact time of the year that he was kicked out, we will default the points to January 1st. So, this brings his reign to a total of 17 months for a score of .56. <laughs> And this brings Sviatopolk's points to a total of a surprising 46.56 out of 100. Yeah, that sounds about right. So he basically gets a failing grade. But he is he is in fourth place. Fourth place. Hold on. Let me, show me this. Where is it? Fourth place. Fourth place. Uh, where is the thing again? Here we go. Czar Power Ranking. He's in fourth place behind... In front of who? So, in third place, 
Alieg the Seer. In second place, Olga of Kiev. In first place, Vladimir the Great. He just beat out um, Sviatoslav the First and by by a total of three points, three point discrepancy. And then his dad got is in currently in eighth place. Uh, yeah, okay. So he didn't. So he's ahead of Igor the First at the very least. Yes, as that at least that I know is a sign that we're doing okay. Yeah, yeah, he's ahead of Igor. <laughs> well, can you see why I made Igor the name of the bumbling idiot? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that is just our thing. Igor's the idiot. Olga's like the the be Olga's all the end smart all. one. Olga's the smart one. Igor's the idiot. Okay, so now the question is: Does he get to party it out in the Kremlin, or we ship him off to the Gulag? Hmm. Wow, that's a toughie. What do you think? I actually wouldn't send him to the Kremlin. No, you don't. Yes, I do. <laughs> no, you don't. Well, it's not happening. He's going to the Gulag. <laughs> Okay, why do you, why should he go to the gulag? Because he's a moron. He's he has had very bad luck. He didn't have very bad luck. A smart person can take bad luck and make it into good luck. All right, every I'm talking about luck here. Okay, listen, it doesn't matter. The ruling, the ranking of the Russian rulers, does not is not a merciful ranking. All right, okay. if you fail, you fail. <sighs> okay, fine. He is off to the gulag. I am sorry. I am sorry, Shuttlepolk. You were, in fact, an idiot like your dad. <laughs> and like your great-grandfather before you. You are off to the gulag. They're happy. Okay. Well, no, I'm not happy, but it's it's just I did what was necessary. You did what was necessary to keep the purity of the, the Kremlin list going. I see. Yeah, I'm not putting him in the same place as Olga. As Olga. Okay, that's my just baseline for now. Does she be- does he belong in the same place as Olga of Kiev? Does he should he be in the same room as Olga? That is exactly. Does, does he deserve her attention? Come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alrighty. It's like you're up there with Oleg the Seer, who put he was the guy who put boats on wheels, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. No. He he and Vladimir the Great belong with Olga. Everyone else can go kick rocks. Yeah. Okay. I, I kind of do like the fact that so far it's like alrighty, Oleg, Olga, Vladimir, and what are they? They're the smart ones. <laughs> Vladimir, not so much. Yeah. He was just horrible. But one was Elig was literally also called the wise, right? Yes. Also, that's great. But um, now that we do have our chosen person um, for the next to be next in line, we are going to be talking about Yaroslav next. And uh, next time, Yaroslav is also known as Yaroslav the wise. Finally, I'm really sick and tired of these asshole. Sorry, <laughs> I'm really sick and tired of just these morons. Kinslaying, I can't take it anymore. I need somebody who's actually good at their job. Well, we'll find out soon, soon enough. Oh, by the, um, and if you're still if you're still this far out in the episode, which I'm guessing you are, um, because you're listening to this, we will be taking a break in December, so we will release. A Christmas episode, and then we will take a break until mid-January, because holiday season. Mm-hmm. And this pro- this will probably come out after, before or after Thanksgiving. 
So we're going to have a one of my Russian professors come up, who's actually from Russia. He's going to talk to us about the Russian New Year's Christmas festivities, and we'll enjoy that. And then Yaroslav the Wise will return mid-January. Okay. Alrighty. So are you ready for the poem? Do you have it open? Yeah, it's right here. I don't have it open, so... Okay. How do you say his name? Sergei Esenin? Yesenin. Yesenin. Okay. Okay. So this is a poem by Sergei Yesenin called The Birch, or in Russian, Berioza. Bielaya Berioza. Pod maim aknom. Prinakrila snegom. Tochna serebrom. Napushisti virkach. Snezno yukaimoi. Kraspustili skisti. Bieloi bachramoi. Istait Berioza. Sonoi tishinie, igariat snezninki, vzalato magnie, azaria leniva, abhadia krugom, obsipayet vierki, novim cerebrom. Brendan? The Birch by Sergei Yesenin. Translated by Anton Yakovlev. The white birch under my window wrapped herself in snow as though in silver. Like snow borders on fluffy branches, white fringes of tassels have blossomed. And the birch stands in listless silence, and the snowflakes burn in the golden fire. And the dawn, lazily walking around, sprinkles the branches with new silver. That was awesome. Thank you, Brendan. You're welcome. To get more direct contact with us, feel free to access our website at czarpowerpod.weebly.com. There you can find the show notes, pictures, bibliography, and vote on whether you think Sviatopok the Accursed Deserve the Kremlin or the Gulag. It also has links to our social media, which is just at ZarPowerPod. Zar is spelled T-S-A-R. If you would like to support the show to help us expand and grow, feel free to subscribe to our Patreon to get bonus episodes for both Zar Power and the history of Sacramento, Georgia. We also have an Amazon book wishlist, PayPal, and coffee. If you'd like to do something that's free, leave a review on your favorite podcast host, be it on Apple, Spotify, or anything else that you do use. So Brendan, where can they find you? Assuming Twitter is still going to be here, I think it will be. Um, but I don't really know what I'm going to do yet. I wanted, I tried to make a Macedon this morning, for the second time, and it was confusing, and I gave up. Uh, not having drunk coffee probably had a little bit to do with that. But anyway, if you want to find me on Twitter, you can just at Foster underscore Writing. You'll see my pretty face show up in my profile picture. It's very pretty. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. I need to replace that photo because, Mike, I had a quarantine beard in that photo. It is so gross, man. <laughs> now you just have a really long beard. <laughs> it's not as long as it was. It's definitely not as unkempt as it was. That was just true, like, true quarantine beard days, man. My mom made me shave all the time, so I didn't have an option. But anyways, that's a dosi danya tovarishi from me. And from me, remember, vlush prezdeit parazitov. So wait, yeah, see you next time. Bye.